0: Along with those comments that have been made previously, how delightful we each can feel to not only welcome our membership, but visitors alike who've come our way. We're certainly thankful for the presence of each and every individual and truly hopeful that our worship will be most, of course, importantly, acceptable unto God, but certainly also encouraging to each other. It is true that we're commanded to exhort one another in the most holy faith, and indeed, as you and I worship, that's one of the privileges that we have to encourage one another along his or her Christian journey. As we continue our Bible reading this year, we realize that even at this point, that we have advanced really at the end of the book of Mark and the opening chapters of the book of Luke. You may have noticed as we concluded that book of Mark that obviously we had another impression, another consideration relative to the very nature of the crucifixion of Christ. It is with that in mind that you'll notice we've now read some 242 chapters of the book of God, and that brings us to a little over one-fifth of the total. You'll notice on that slide, though, before you, that I tried to briefly make note of the following. Amazing, isn't it, that there is a set of very interesting characters surrounding the cross. We know about Christ and His crucifixion. We also know, of course, about the disciples, and we're aware of many many others, but you'll notice that brief listing I simply chose to present to you. You'll notice on that list, individuals such as the disciples that forsook Him. You'll notice that there's mention made of Barabbas. We remember he was an insurrectionist, one who was guilty, in fact, even of murder, and yet they chose him to be released instead of Christ. In addition to that, there were others individuals, as you can well tell. One can make note of the centurion. One can also give thought to Pilate. One can even make thought about the individuals surrounding Joseph of Arimathea. Some of these individuals are those who played ultimately a very memorable role in the events of that day. What about the last one, Simon? You'll notice the lesson text that was read just a moment ago as Joey read that for us. For Mark 15 verse 21 casts a spotlight upon none other than Simon. I'd invite you over the next few moments this morning to revisit Simon, to think about that role that he did play and to draw some lessons that can be very helpful to you and to me. Simon, we're told in that verse, is such that the following thoughts might well needfully begin our study. First of all, what does the verse say about him? What does it help us appreciate about the life of this man who we find mentioned so rarely in the book of God? First of all, picture the scene with me. I trust that as we give thought in our mind's eye to the events of that day... Perhaps we can take a renewed impression about the life of Simon. It was Jerusalem. It was in the spring of the year AD 30. You remember with me that the particular scene as it unfolds in Mark chapter 15 is a scene in which it was a very noteworthy time of year. In fact, the population of Jerusalem swelled significantly because it was the time of the Passover hundreds of thousands of individuals from all over that vicinity and even far distant places in the Roman Empire and elsewhere had come. And as they did so, you may remember, of course, that not only were a large number of Jews there, but the typical citizens for which that was their home, they were also there. Not only was it the Passover, but the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread directly followed the Passover, and so it was a lengthy period of time in which visitors from all over had come to that city. As the population had swelled in the way that it did, you may remember that a great deal of interest not only surrounded the Jewish livelihood, but there was something else stirring in the environment in the spring of A.D. 30. This man named Jesus, for over three years he had been teaching in the area. He had captured a great deal of interest. There were many who had witnessed miracles he had performed. And not only that, his teaching was so unique and special. It was filled with authority. And as such, a large, large number of people had paid attention to what he had to say. In Mark chapter 12, we even learn in verse 37 that the common people heard him gladly. They loved His message. They were drawn to Him. And in so doing, we notice that there was something else thus that made that spring so very intriguing. Notice again how that there must have been a great livelihood in Jerusalem about this time. So many Jews, and yet here was Jesus. He had made a triumphal entry into the city four days previous. On Sunday of this very same week, the Lord had ridden into town, In the intervening days, he had taught so much, he had impressed so many. However, the tide was turning against him. You'll notice as you come near the bottom of that slide, as that tide turned against him, it was prompted primarily, of course, by those Jewish religious leaders. He was attracting the attention from them. He was teaching what they considered blasphemy he was asserting what they considered inappropriate and unlawful based on their knowledge of the old testament and therefore they had him arrested they arrested him of course in the previous evening as they did so you may remember he was taken to trial he appeared before a jewish sanhedrin and early in the wee hours of the morning they found him guilty they had a difficult time finding a charge that would stick But finally, blasphemy was the choice and they found enough witnesses together with false ones to make the verdict stand. This one, thus, they declared guilty of blasphemy and therefore worthy of death. The Jews, however, could not put anyone to death. The Romans had taken that power away from them. And thus, they had to take Jesus then to a Roman official and have him make the sentence finally of death. They brought Jesus to Pilate. We've now reached basically the time of sunrise on that Thursday morning. As the Lord came to this location, here he was, still, of course, a prisoner, if you please. And you'll notice that as Pilate and he entered into conversation, some of these final comments on that slide are made. Pilate admitted more than once, I can find no fault in him. Pilate had questioned him. He had asked of his considerations. Pilate had found no fault in him. However, the crowd was unwilling to bend. The Jewish religious leaders were unwilling to compromise. And finally, Pilate had what he thought no doubt was a brilliant idea. It was always customary to release a prisoner, and thus he made mention of a gentleman named Barabbas. Barabbas, as we noted earlier was one that was guilty of insurrection. He was guilty of stirring up actual protest against the authorities of the day and in so doing was a murderer. Pilate was willing to release either Barabbas or Jesus, one or the other, and I'm sure he was hopeful that they would ask for Christ to be released. However, the Jewish leaders and the text in Mark is very interesting in that it suggests that as they move through the crowd, they encourage the people to ask for the release of Barabbas. Pilate then asked the question, What shall I do with Jesus? Crucify Him. Those people encouraged them to cry out, Crucify Him, and that they did you'll notice that things are reaching a very heightened consideration. The very bottom statement on that slide, as Barabbas then was now the one to be released, and as Jesus was now ready to be turned over, you may remember that Jesus was now scourged, a merciless, brutal whipping, and finally Pilate then turned him over to be crucified. What events unfolded on that Thursday? The Lord had prayed just a few hours earlier in regard to the nature of His apostles. You may remember the prayer He prayed in the garden. He had prayed for you and for me who perhaps centuries later would appreciate the Word of God and believe upon the very things that that had uh, been transmitted that day. Perhaps finally you'll notice that in that crucifixion scene the following takes place. It was rather typical for the one who was the victim to actually have to carry the cross, at least a portion of it. And so it was that Jesus was given the command to carry that cross, the very one to which He would be nailed and on which He would die. The Lord apparently, at least in some ways, began the journey, but the text of Mark 15:21 again reads like this. And they compelled one, Simon a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Jesus, you see, didn't bear it all by himself. They compelled, they forced this other gentleman named Simon to assist him. That brings us to one of the bottom thoughts on that slide. It certainly appears, as nearly as you and I are able to tell, that Simon's life would never be the same following that Thursday in the spring of A.D. 30. It appears his life was transformed significantly after that day. What is it about the cross of Christ? What is it about the fervor, the nature, and the characteristic of the gospel message that touched him and that still can touch the lives of you and of me today? Let's devote the remainder of our time to reflecting on Simon. What does this verse say about him? And what does it help us appreciate about the impression of this man? Maybe we can begin like this. What does this verse say about him? In many ways, it simply says this. Simon a Cyrenian. We might well begin by observing where is the country that this gentleman came from? And then when it says that he passed by, coming out of the country, maybe that leads us to some of these comments. First of all, you'll appreciate with me the following map. We'll go back to this slide in just a moment. As you look at that map, you'll appreciate something very interesting. If you'll follow with your eye to the middle, very bottom of the middle of that map, you'll notice in big letters the word Cyrene, C-Y-R-E-N-E. That's the place that Simon was from. You'll notice it's in Africa. You'll notice it was about 750 miles from Jerusalem. He was a pretty good distance from home. Jerusalem, by the way, is over at the bottom right. The word Palestine in the bottom right, just beneath it is the word Jerusalem. By ship, directly straight line, that's about 750 miles from Jerusalem to Cyrene. Notice then that this gentleman... Simon was a good distance from home. You'll also notice, as we reflect on the previous slide again, were those ideas before us? One might now begin to put these things together. We noted earlier that, again, Jerusalem swelled as people from all over had come. It may well be that Simon, too, had learned something about the Jewish faith. It may be he too had come from a long distance to Jerusalem. It may be that he was there for reasons and having nothing to do with some of the other matters of that day. But on the other hand, it may well be that the text says, notice it says he passed by coming out of the country. It may also be that some of these things are true. As you and I contemplate the reasons why Simon had come to Jerusalem, It does say he passed by. It may well be he was merely called in the crucifixion parade as the Jesus trudged onward through the city of Jerusalem carrying that cross. It may be Simon just happened to be there. If he had come to worship beneath a Jewish system, if he had come with some impression about the nature of the children of Israel and that law God had given them, May we again say it would appear his life was changed forever that day. You'll notice these other comments seemingly fall off. It is interesting that the inspired writer uses the word compel. Simon didn't volunteer to carry that cross. He didn't volunteer to jump forward and assist Christ because likely Jesus was suffering greatly beneath the load. He had already been beaten mercilessly. He had lost a great deal of blood previous night he hadn't slept any he was slapped smitten beaten in a number of ways forsaken by his friends but you notice that all the while we now come to the time that perhaps this is time to pause for an interesting observation the lord who had helped so many notice how few helped him now he had healed many that were sick He had touched the lives of many with what He taught. He had even cast out demons from those who were possessed. The Lord had helped countless thousands of individuals, no doubt. But yet, while He was here carrying the cross, no one was ready to help Him. Isn't it significant? Even the disciples had fled, Mark 14, 50. That fulfilled a prophecy found in the Old Testament. You smite the shepherd and the sheep will flee. Not only that, one of those apostles who had pronounced the greatness of closeness, Peter, he even denied Jesus back in Mark 14, verses 64 and following. On another occasion, Judas had already betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a common slave. Notice again, the Lord was carrying it all alone. They forced Simon to help him. You and I might pause and ask, are you and I willing to be his friend today? Willing to, in fact, leap forward and carry the yoke of the cross? You'll notice as you approach the bottom of that slide, the thought does readily come to us. There is a cross to bear in service to Christ. Recall with me in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that on that occasion, Jesus himself said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. May I submit to you, just as the Lord would readily do, that being a Christian demands that you and I first deny ourselves and then lift up and carry the cross of Christianity. Oh, it's true, we may not go to a cross like the Lord did physically, and we may not be crucified physically the way He did, but there is a cross to bear as a Christian. You and I are called on to be very different from the world around us. In fact, God demands it of us. You and I are taught in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and following that even though the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, verse 11. The next verse goes on to say, that grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. A world that often looks upon that kind of thing with great shame, almost infamy. And yet, as Christians, you and I realize that it will demand Some of the following things of us. Persecution. That will be part of that cross. Others will look upon you and I and laugh at us. Others from time will not understand us and therefore will insult us. They will have very little regard on occasion for the things of the Bible. They'll consider it foolish. They'll consider it inappropriate. And certainly in a modern so-called sophisticated society, it will appear that which is not wise May I submit that in 2 Timothy three twelve, it still says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That persecution may involve many things. On the job, have you ever been looked over for someone else because you were a Christian and they weren't? The powers that be knew that you would not defend or involve yourself in activities which they might find for the betterment of the company? At school, have you ever found those occasions in which friends would avoid you because they knew you wouldn't appreciate where they were going, how they spoke, what they wore, and the other features of their life? May I submit, though that may not be easy, just like Simon, may you and I have the urgency to do it because it is for our betterment. It is the way of Christ. There is a cross to be born. And that cross will often be a difficult thing to carry, but isn't it worth it? You'll notice in John chapter 17 verses 14 and following, the Lord Himself just a few hours before the events of Mark chapter 15, He Himself had said, the world will hate you just as it has me. Should we not expect that to be the case if we will but follow Him? Simon, a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country. Coming out of the country, it may well be that Simon was really wishing to head home. Maybe he had no desire to be a part of this crucifixion parade at all, but yet they forced him to do so. Isn't it true that there are many today who would wish to pass by Christianity? To them, the church is not something of interest. If only they knew the vitality, the urgency, and the importance of it. You'll notice other things, though, were said about this Simon. In this very verse, might I ask you to notice something about his family. Mark fifteen twenty one goes on to say, The father of Alexander and Rufus. Two individuals who here are listed in name, and it makes us no doubt wonder I would ask you to note the following. We're well aware of the fact that the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, was written originally for the benefit of those that were Romans. We remember that all four of the gospel accounts had specific ideas and details about the nature of their original writing. Matthew for that benefit of the Jew, and Mark for the Roman, and Luke for the Greeks. As we come to consideration of Mark, It would seem that the Holy Spirit chose to mention Rufus and Alexander. Perhaps it was the case that those two were well known to the Romans. Maybe they served in that area, were well known by virtue of their position or otherwise. It certainly would lead us to observe the following. As you come to Romans 16, verse number 13, to the church in Rome, Paul addressed some comments to those brethren And in that very verse, he made mention of a gentleman named Rufus. Not only making mention of him, but using this description of him. Chosen in the Lord. The Rufus mentioned in Romans 16 was a devout and ardent servant of the Master. He was chosen because he had chosen to follow Jesus. He was a Christian. Paul highly commended him, complimented him, and encouraged him, and urged the brethren to salute him chosen in the Lord. Might I ask you to notice that Paul also in that same verse makes mention of Rufus' mother. If that be the same Simon of whom we read in Mark 15, that would have been the wife of Simon. Consider with me this. If it was the case that that man was a Jew who had traveled 750 miles to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and the consequent Feast of Unleavened Bread... We now notice that his son, Rufus, was an ardent Christian. Could it be that Simon, in fact, is such that this transformation took place in his life and he thus influenced both his boys to become members of the body of Christ, encouraging them in the way of Christ, encouraging them in the way that is the way of Jesus? Those things, at least, make us wonder the following... If this man was as respected as that, doesn't it encourage us to give careful deliberation and very careful consideration to the kind of influence we're able to set today? What about your influence as a husband, as a wife? What about your influence as a father and a mother? Do others, perhaps fellow employees and otherwise, know where you stand? Isn't it true that we read in Acts 4.13 about these who, upon looking at the apostles, said they had been with Jesus? They knew exactly who those gentlemen were. They knew they'd been with Christ, and their life showed it. The surroundings in which you and I find ourselves today are surroundings that often encourage us to blend in with the crowd. Isn't that the case? Our youngsters often are interested in appearing normal, and we as older ones often too find ourselves the same. But Jesus purchased us to be non-normal. He purchased us to stand out from the crowd because, remember, He said in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth into life and few there be that find it. It is that chosen, precious few who are the ones that are loved by the Lord in the sense that they have responded to His offer of grace and mercy. This gentleman, Simon, of whom we read here, it certainly seems intriguing that mention is made of Rufus, and yet Rufus mentioned in Romans 16, it would appear the Roman congregation knew him well. He was chosen in the Lord. But not only that, Paul makes note that even Rufus' mother, he calls his own mother. She had served as a mother figure to Paul in a very deliberate and very moving way. Does that indicate that Simon's family came to to obey the gospel? Does it indicate that they came to recognize the greatness and the beauty of the Christ? If so, you'll notice it does lead us to one- final set of thoughts notice one more thing the idea of transformation is so often found in the word of God isn't it that idea of transformation is an overwhelming one it describes an overwhelming complete thorough and entire set of changes from one state into another one If what we've stated about Simon is the case, think about the transformation that happened in him. One who on the morning of that Thursday was a devout Jew, and within a few days later, a devout Christian. His children grew up to be Christians as well. You'll notice in light of that, what are some things that might have occurred that day? I don't have Bible references to illustrate the thoroughness of these, but would you simply ask some questions with me? The text does say that Simon passed by. It does say he was coming out of the country, and yet here were some Roman officials that forced him to carry the cross. Could it be that as he carried the cross, arriving finally at the place of Golgotha, that he stood there with a gaping open mouth and watched this very man be crucified that had just helped him carry the cross. Could it be that he began to ask some questions, Who is this man? What did he do? Why is he on this cross? Could it be that as he mingled among the crowd, he asked some of those common people that had heard him gladly, What kinds of things did he teach? Do you know anything about his family? Could it be that they, rather than asking those that were the Jewish leaders, maybe he talked to some of those women there like Salome and Mary, the very mother of Jesus. Could it be that he inquired of them about the nature, the very character of this man Jesus? I'm sure he had to wonder. Beyond that, could it be? that he began to witness the other events that happened later that day. Remember, darkness fell over the land from 12 o'clock till 3. That was not natural. What brought about this darkness? And what about the words of the centurion? Truly, this man was the Son of God. The veil in the temple rent from top to bottom. Do you suppose with all the heaping evidence concerning all of that, that by the end of that day, Simon began to wonder, to question And when he heard those statements, was he there when Joseph of Arimathea came and asked for the body? Was Simon still there wondering what had taken place? May I submit to you, the power of the cross may have been an overwhelming, transforming effect in his life. I'd say today I'm standing before many who have also experienced a great transformation. There was a time when you realized there was sin in your life. A gospel call of invitation was extended, and maybe you had thought for some time about it, but the day came when you could no longer hold back. You knew that you needed to obey the gospel. You walked forward to the front of a building, a sinner. You came out of some water, pure and clean. You experienced a transformation. It was a change unlike any other. And that change is so often referenced in the Word of God. In Second Corinthians 5, verse 17, All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You became a new creature in Christ that day. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Paul, writing to the Romans, would say, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, so shall we be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Verses 1 to 5 of Romans chapter 6. As you appreciate the character of words like that, Doesn't it remind us about Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1? As Paul addressed the church in Colossae, he with power could make reference to the fact, if you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Your motivation, your vision, your objective in life is not like it once was. You and I have been transformed. In Romans chapter 12 the first two verses of that rather famous chapter. Though many things about that chapter readily come to mind, Paul on that particular occasion could say, in grandeur and in greatness to the very reality of the transformation, he said, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The idea of transformation takes us to a number of ideas so significant to life in Christ. We in a few moments are about to partake of the Lord's Supper, a compelling, moving moment that takes place each Lord's day. It's a time to reflect back on the body and blood of Christ. Paul told the Corinthians that to do so improperly is to be guilty of the very body and blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 25 and following. You and I know that to fail to discern the body is to be guilty of a very dire sin. May I ask, what about the transformation, then, that is descriptive of you and me? A moment ago, I spoke to those who have obeyed the gospel, the transformation that happened in your life. Let me now take a moment and address anyone that might not be right with the Lord. There might be one here who has never obeyed the gospel. But you know that you need to. You've reached an age where you understand wrong from right and you know what sin's all about and you know that Jesus died. There's no doubt in your mind about it. But perhaps due to nervousness or otherwise, you have never taken care of what you know you need to do. Let me ask you to urgently think about Simon one more time. The transformation that happened in his life on that spring day so many years ago. It was a transformation that was so much for the better. A transformation that impacted he and his family literally for all eternity. A transformation, if what we have appreciated be the case, that truly was an impressive thing. You know that apart from Christ, there is no salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4 verse 12. If you die in the current state that you are, you know that you're headed for eternal ruin. You know that. May I ask, why not do something about it today? The congregation here, the church here has prayed for you. Family members perhaps for a long time have longed, yearned for your response. It may be that you've put it off long enough. Why not today make things right between you and your God. It may also be, though, that there's one or more here who has been faithful for a while, but today you're not. You know that things have taken place in your life. You've allowed them to happen. You can't lay the blame on anybody else. You did it. You did what ought not to have been done. You were guilty overtly of sin in a number of ways, but you know that you've lived in the blackness of sin long enough. You know that you've been covered, separated from God long enough. You know that just like Simon, you need a transformation. Wipe all this away and live pure and clean and whole in the sunlit beauty of the Son of God. You can do that today. The power is not in me. It is in Jesus. You need to ask for prayers of brethren that will pray with you and for you. And they'll be there to help you along the uneven journey of life ahead of you. Today, if we could be of assistance to you, let the statements we've made about Simon bring us to these concluding thoughts, and the lesson will be yours. Simon's circumstances, I'm sure when he woke up that morning, he thought nothing like what was going to happen. I'm sure he didn't give the slightest thought that he was going to actually be a part of carrying the cross of the one who's going to be crucified for the sin of the world, but it happened. Maybe this morning it wasn't on your mind to think about obeying, but the time's come. There will never be a better day than this one. You can be a member of the body of Christ ere you leave this building today. Or you can be again a faithful member. If either of these be the need of your life, don't delay any longer. Why not come now while together we stand and sing?